0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keane. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Within all of this news, within the stories of the day, There's an ability to triangulate, and what the pros triangulate with is foreign exchange. From our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, we go to London, and Jane Foley of Rabobank. Jane, within the blur, sometimes when I look at my Bloomberg screen, I squint my eyes. It's just because the red and the green can tell me what's going on. When you try to triangulate the markets right now, you gotta be focused on more than cable, right?
1: Well, I think Sterling really does give us a, a really good reflection about how vulnerable investors are feeling with respect to the uncertainty, the political uncertainty in, in the UK right now. And it's been very interesting this morning listening to Theresa May. She came in front of Parliament and she sounded very defiant initially with respect to her deal. Yeah. Um, But she has been stood now for two hours, more than two hours, and there has been a lot of pressure from MPs.
0: John Farrell is going, Jane,
2: come on. No, I just thought it was really interesting watching these headlines drop across the Bloomberg of people I've never heard of resigning. And I imagine most people in the FX market have never heard of them either, Um, with the exception of Dominic Raab. Um, Jane, how important is that? Just in terms of we don't know who these people are, but just the numbers are what is important here.
1: You have had already um, four ministers resigning, in addition, in addition to a, a parliamentary private secretary. But even if you didn't know those names, you would know the name, as you pointed out, of Brexit se- secretary Rob. Now he is he is resigned, and and you could say, you know, this is the second Brexit minister to step to step down, the second one. Now that really does reinforce the splits within the the cabinet. So we have here in the UK an extremely divided cabinet, an extremely extremely divided government. And an opposition party which is very market unfriendly, an opposition party which is on the far left that has policies to renationalise, etc. So uh, the the political backdrop from an investor's point of view now is looking really very ugly. And right now also, as many MPs have pointed out to the Prime Minister in Parliament this morning, there probably isn't parliamentary backing for her deal. And she has said if there isn't a deal, the UK is still going to leave the EU in March next. Year, meaning that the prospect of a hard brexit is looking very tangible today
2: so jane looking at the market right now overnight vol on cable really elevated yesterday and today as well still i'm looking at the pricing for a bank of england rate hike being taken out for the spring of next year what do you think we should be paying attention to in markets right now
1: well, you know, unfortunately, because it's so political, there are a lot of investors who are waiting on the, headline, on the sidelines, just waiting for those headlines, waiting to see what's going to happen. So politics is, is very dominant, uh, certainly for the UK. I mean, beyond that, of course, there is still the focus on on the trade deals, on China and, and the US, on the US data, see how much the, the Fed can hike, to see how much the, 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 the Federal Reserve could be impacted by the global growth outlook. There is still bad data for Q3 from Germany, from Japan, etc. Yeah. So so there, there is still an awful lot to focus on, but in the UK for sterling, it's really quite simple. It's on those headlines regarding uh, the, the the UK politi- political backdrop.
0: It's it's the end of the year. You're going to start writing the Rabobank piece. What are you writing on the dollar right now? I mean, I know the cable's the, the focus today 127.95. But do you have an interesting dollar call, or are you just waiting to see what breaks?
1: Well, I was. I've been really since since March. It's March the 15th, to be precise. I've been at a dollar bull, and, and my forecast was 112, which really right now doesn't look that far away. I'm talking about uh, euro dollar, uh, clearly. doesn't look that far away now. Now, I think I can present an argument, many commentators can, that next year we could see a souring in the outlook for it. the US. We could see growth plateauing. We could see a plateauing in, in US rates. But I'm also still really quite concerned about Europe. I'm concerned about European growth. I'm concerned about ECB policy. I'm concerned very much about popular and the politics in in Europe, too. So I don't really see a case well, whereby the euro is going to be in any position to take back a lot of ground against the dollar.
0: I've never asked this question. I'm going to do it right now. Is Brexit just populism, United Kingdom flavor?
1: Yeah, we've seen populism, obviously, in, in the U.S. We've seen populism in the U.K. We've seen populism John, in we have it in, in Sweden, in, in Germany. We have it in, in Poland Couldn't and, we... and in, in Czech Republic.
0: Jane Foley's accent's totally different than yours. I like, when Jane talks, do you know where she's from? Where are you from, Jane?
1: Actually, I'm from Ireland, but I, was, I grew up in South London.
0: South come. London. And so that's that much different from where you are up in the Midlands.
2: Yeah. Okay. Although if I had a Midlands accent... It would you be wouldn't be very, on radio. <laughs> very, very different.
0: No, but, but way in here, John. This, I mean, Brexit is just the populism of the era defined in the United Kingdom. But the really right?
2: interesting thing about Brexit is that on the dawn of Brexit, when we had the sun come up the following day after the vote, yeah. and many people sat there and said, big problem for the continent, perhaps the world. Within a couple of months, it became less the world, maybe the continent, and then a couple of months after that, it became, maybe this is just a UK story. So
0: what's a big problem right now, Jane? Is it expanding back out from the United Kingdom, or is it a discrete story?
1: I, I think there's two aspects here which could impact uh, the, the Eurozone and, and the EU, and, and the first is just trade. In the UK, we import a lot more from Europe, than they do from us, and particularly Germany. So so there's a a straight trade front. Um, There's a lot of concerns about supply chains, cars, autos, etc., going back and forth across the border. So we have this story. But there is the other story, and this is about the integrity of the European project, of the Eurozone project, of the EU. And and this is a a question or this is a threat, perhaps. Brexit is potentially a threat to both of those, particularly when you have uh, populism in Italy nibbling uh, at the at the, the, the project as well, where you have yeah. nationalism in some countries as well. So populism, nationalism, they're already there in Europe and that to have Brexit happening on the outskirts here is, is something which again could undermine uh, the, the project.
2: So the letters are going in. Leading Brexit backer Jacob rees mogg calling for a leadership challenge. Now as we know, Jane, you need 48 of these letters to trigger a leadership challenge. Is that what is next on the horizon as you sit there in the City of London? Are people coming around to that idea that a leadership challenge is coming?
1: We've seen several headlines this morning. I think this weekend is going to be really crucial. We've seen uh, Theresa May really you know, fighting for her job before. Um, and I think this weekend is going to be really crucial for her too. And what's really quite interesting in the two hours where she's been on her feet yeah. in, in Parliament today is a lot of... Lack of support for, for some of um, for, the, for the deal, but also a lot of questions here for a second referendum too. A lot of people saying that they don't um, think that there is enough support in Parliament for her, uh, and calls again, oh. a, a, again about her her leadership or, she, or questions about her leadership.
0: You know, of course, I get all my history out of movies, and and Jane Foley, to go back to Lincoln, Daniel Day Lewis's Lincoln, they're all jawboning about the Emancipation Act, and basically it's like if you vote for this, I'll give you a you know some bargain in your district in Ohio or wherever. Is that what goes on here? I mean, does Prime Minister May leave House of Commons and go can, find...
2: Can, can I ask a question in English?
0: Hold on, but could some... does a member of Parliament <laughs> get a phone call, you know, we'll give you a, a, subway, a subway stop or
1: you know, some infrastructure
0: project?
2: What are you talking about? That's the way we it, do it in America. Not, it, it
1: not as, as common in, in the UK, but in, where you have that is obviously with the DUP. Theresa May has a, a minority, the Tory party have a no- minority in the House of Commons, and she yeah. is very reliant on the nine or ten seats from the Northern Ireland DUP party to support her, and went in order to buy that support after the election uh, last year, uh, she <coughs> did certainly right. give them several concessions.
0: Now, this is, is, Reese Mogg, is that how you say it? Did yeah. I Did I do well? Yeah. Calls for a leadership challenge. I just said
2: that three minutes ago. Uh, I missed it. I know you did. I, well,
0: I was sending fan letters out on Jacob DeBron. your keyboard. You, Jane, Jane Foley, <laughs> what's a leadership challenge?
1: This would be when um, within the, the electoral process here is, is, is very different. We yeah. don't elect a president or a prime minister in the way that you do. We elect the party, and then the party chooses the leadership. So this is the difference right. here in the, in the U.S. Civ- so they would be potentially putting other um, names in the hat and choosing a new leader. Okay. So we would still have a Tory government.
0: Jane Foley, thank you. Civics with Jane Foley of Bank today for our American audience John, my worst moment in London was not standing in line at the Tower of London to get in. It was finding a bar where I could watch an American Football League game. And the Detroit Lions were playing. And that's why it's so important to get deep Brexit perspective from our London bureau chief who loves, he worships the Detroit Lions.
2: He doesn't know. He,
0: he doesn't care about Villa, West Ham. East Poultry, the whatever. Tots. The Tots. <laughs> the Tots, as you the call tots. them. The Tots. Neil Callaghan, <laughs> this is the one guy in the United Kingdom I want to talk to today. Why do you bring in Mr. Callaghan of the Detroit Lions? We are not
2: speaking to our London Bureau Chief about the Detroit Lions. We're going to talk to him about Brexit. Good morning to you, or good afternoon to you, Neil Callahan.
3: Good morning. I could give you a chapter and verse about the lions as well, obviously.
2: Oh don't but. encourage Tom, he probably will do that. <laughs> Neil, does the Prime Minister last the week?
3: Uh looking increasingly unlikely, Jonathan. Um she came out today at ten thirty AM, she looked confident, she was prepared, the speech was good, and then it just all began to fall apart. MP after MP stood up and said that they would oppose uh, the deal that she has agreed and the chatter uh, during the morning was increasingly that they were getting close to the number of votes that would trigger a vote of confidence in her leadership the BBC is now saying that uh, that looks likely Jacob Rees-Mogg who's an arch uh, Europe, uh, Europe sceptic uh, he's now said that he's going to send in a letter of no confidence, he wouldn't do that I don't think unless he was actually confident that they have the votes to trigger that to trigger the leadership um, confidence motion and so it will be very very tough for Theresa May to survive the week but then she we've been writing her off for nearly two years and she's still there.
2: 48 votes 48 letters needed to get the uh, leadership contest and I understand you need about 158 votes to push her out of the position. Neil do they have the numbers?
3: They have about a core of about 80 who have consistently been against uh, the deal that was under negotiation and are in favour of no deal. But now, based on what we saw earlier on, where MP after MP in her own party stood up and basically uh, congratulated her for her work. But said this is not going to fly with me or my constituents and I'm going to oppose the deal and therefore she's really going to struggle in that leadership contest. The question is who comes forward? Does Boris Johnson finally make a move? He's threatened to before and never has. Who's going to be the obvious uh, competitor to her? Dominic Graub who does who resigned this morning, is probably a contender as well. And then the danger is that the votes get split, and she survives.
2: And what's the alternative? And I think that's what's interesting about all of this. Prime Minister May says it's my deal, no deal, or no Brexit at all. The people, the individuals that have resigned, have said plenty about why they don't like the deal on the table, but said little about what the alternative they pursue would be. Do we have any idea what the Brexiteers actually want here, Neil?
3: Uh, I think that the- par- Parliament is so split you you just can't say because there is an element of people who do want a second referendum the, and she left open that oh. possibility last night when she talked about <laughs> no brexit and the last two years will have been a lot of talk about nothing but that, that would seem unlikely they don't okay. have enough votes at the moment um hard brexit that that uh, the right the risk of that has risen uh, right. markedly and that's what markets are showing this morning
0: neil i can get away with this you with, with your irish heritage if we go back to david lloyd george who among other things folks spoke welsh and english was a second language which i find extraordinary but within the Irish question, in the huge battles coming out of World War I, he was shown the door in 1922. When it, in a parliamentary system, when you're shown the door, do you know who's going to take over, or is it a mystery right to the last moment? Is, are there ducks lined up now to take over for Prime Minister May?
3: I think that's exactly what will be happening this afternoon. People will be jostling for positions so that they're ready to uh, launch their pitch and to um, go for the leadership. Uh, Boris Johnson, Dominic Raab, maybe even Michael Gove if if
0: treason May is gone. Jan Farrell, it's so different than America. Well, it's not a presidential
2: system. You're the leader of the party and then you are therefore also the prime minister if you're in power. And you vote for the leader of the party as a conservative core. It's not the people that vote for not all of the country. It's the conservative members that ultimately will vote for the. uh, Well, I like how the Guardian put it today.
0: It was about speaking to her party, parliament, and the country. You know, it's it's just different.
2: But there's some people speaking to their constituency, and you know the political game for so many people, Tom. Yeah. It's how do I get re-elected? <clears throat>
0: Neil, pa- Lions, Packers, end of the season. Here we go.
2: Here we Lions go. Lions,
0: pack. I mean, can the Lions do it to the Packers? They're stumbling.
3: Uh, the way we've been playing for the last three weeks with no cornerbacks really against Iron Rodgers, no. Okay, Neil Kellan, there you are, folks. I was way From too London impressive. and
0: Ireland, nailing the Michael Barr talk on the Detroit uh, Lions. Neil Kellan joining I'm us. I'm Is impressed. That's the coolest thing about Bloomberg, is a guy running our London office is from Ireland and loves Michael Barr's and, Detroit and Lions.
2: And you, you keep asking how they fill Wembley Stadium Okay. With NFL fans. There are tons in John, the UK. it's
0: snowing. Have you been over to Bloomingdale's do yet? If you play music, seen? I'm going to get oh, really annoyed. Oh, no, I would. I would never do that. Have you been over to Bloomingdale's and
2: seen their Christmas display? I've, I've been to other respectable Who would retailers it be? as well. Oh. You're a mean one, <laughs> Mr. Grinch. You the Grinch, right? I'm no, no, familiar. Yeah, familiar and let me tell you, it's you, not me. You <laughs> got that you, right. <laughs> Mr. Although I feel like him this morning, you're driving me insane. I'm watching Jim Carrey
3: today. And I quote: Stink, stank, stump.
0: The Brexit vote was close, call it 52 to 48, depending on who's counting and what the mood was. But in David Blanchflower's Cardiff, where Wales said leave, Cardiff said remain, the prosperity perhaps of Cardiff, with a sizable vote of remain 60 percent and leave 40 percent. David Blanchflower, of course, uh, a member of the Bank of England's committee and, of course, iconic in wage economics and macroeconomics at Dartmouth College. Professor Blanchflower, wonderful to have you with us this morning. Just give us a glimmer of your whales. Why did Cardiff say remain and Wales stunned and said leave?
4: Well, in some sense, what we've seen around the globe is the big cities um essentially were pre-content with where things were so think about in the u.s new york and the big cities chicago in britain london um edinburgh all voted to to remain the rest of the rest of wales essentially was pretty unhappy the old coal towns and the steel towns and rural wales but i think the answer now is actually that it appears that the polling in wales has kind of moved in the other direction uh, particularly as, as Brexit right. has not delivered. And obviously today is a big day where markets are in turmoil because it's quite clear that there really hasn't been a well, deal and there's no deal that's credible on the table. So now we have, I think particularly the big deal today is Scotland, in fact, because Scotland uh, is pretty unhappy and and they're not even included. The word Scotland right. isn't even in, the, in this 500-page document. and. Uh, Uh, And and, and the Scots and the Welsh, I think, are are saying if Ireland has a deal, we want a deal. Well, exactly.
0: And Prime Minister May, in a huge emotion earlier this morning, it seems hours ago, said Scotland is part of the United Kingdom, which carries a certain 1703 resonance, uh, resonance, I should say, uh, to it. Professor Blanche Flower, within this, and there's been upset one, upset two, checkers, da-da-da-da-da, and here we are in November of 2018, are we any closer in your reading to a desire for a second referendum, or is that the great untouchable?
4: Well, I think we probably are closer to a, a re I mean, essentially, there's three options on the table. Leave with no deal, don't leave at all, or leave with this deal. And this deal looks hugely <clears throat> unacceptable. Um, um, Reese Mogg has, has actually called for a Mays resignation, um, I think in the end, what we're going to see is this deal isn't very, isn't a really very good one. I mean, the person in charge of negotiating the deal, Dominic Raab, has now quit. He's the person supposedly in charge of it. So I think this just looks like, you know, a, a, a yeah. total collapse of the deal, lack of political support, and I suspect in the end we're going to see some kind of re-vote. I mean, there were 700,000 people demonstrating in London very peaceably a week or so ago. So I think I think in some sense that the option, this option of take this right. deal looks already like it's not going to happen. I mean, the markets are responding. We've seen a huge collapse well, in British banks, RBS and Barclays. We've seen the British house builders, uh, Persimmon and, and and others. I mean, they've done 8% or so. So when markets respond like that, I think you're kind of, have to rethink, and even if there's a fall of the government, um, yeah, the the people are not going to be. You know, the deal is not going to be much better if you have a new prime minister tomorrow. So I think yeah. the answer is that this this is really not a credible outcome. We may well see another another vote, and we may well, in the end, see. You know, the, the, I don't think the no deal is going to happen. I think we're probably going to be back to where you were, folks. Yeah,
0: Royal Bank of Scotland down 10%, 11% here uh, in London trading uh, today. David Blanchflower, Governor Carney has some constraints here, fewer degrees of freedom. And one of them, as we saw in U.S. retail sales, goes to a Blanchflower tone, which is where's the inflation? I mean, every report is sort of kind of like, really, where's the inflation? Where is that dynamic from where you sit right now? Are, are, are central right. bankers misjudging that modest measured inflation fear?
4: Absolutely, I mean, if you look both in the US and the UK, the question you probably ask yourself is, where where's the evidence that you need to raise rates to deal with the inflation? Inflation expectations are flat, certainly not rising. Inflation looks to be very weak. There is – and obviously the the downside risk – let's go to Carney. I mean Carney made it clear that he thought the biggest downside risks were actually from Brexit. Well, two weeks ago he said that. Today you would clearly argue from what you and I have been talking about that those risks are greater. And and the big deal, of course, in the U.S. we're hearing from business folks is that there's the downside risk from trade wars. I suspect – with rate rises coming, the slowing of yeah. the world economy, the, what right. we're seeing is um, slowing of economies yeah. induced by errors by the central bank, especially the Fed. I think it's all right. in all probability, the U.S. is now slowing. Right. And, and what we're hearing yeah. out of the Fed members is complete error.
0: Danny, I, I once attended and spoke modestly to one of your packed lecture halls at Dartmouth College. And, folks, the thing was completely packed with Keynesians, just so you, you know. I mean, it was you know, completely stacked. <laughs> But you could hear a pin drop over the underemployed. This has been a life study for you. I get more mail, Professor Blanche Flower, on elites saying it's a fully employed economy than I've ever gotten before. How underemployed are the underemployed in America? Well,
4: we... It's certainly clear that um, underemployment in America is a really big deal. Um, And David Bell and I have a paper that people can see on my website. It basically shows you that it's the main variable that explains labor market slack. It's underemployment that's holding down wages. Um, We have poorer data on the U.S. than any other place. But it's not just the part time for economic reasons. It's people who are part time. They're happy to be part time. They want more hours. And many full time people do, too. So that's the mismeasured factor. But it seems to me when you go around the country and you talk to people that many of them say, I'd like more hours. I'd like to work more than I can do. People are hours constrained. And if that's so... That probably means that the NERU, the so-called full employment rate of unemployment, is well below where we are, perhaps in the order of 3%, not 45 that the Fed thinks. And then when the Fed raises rates because it doesn't look at underemployment right. properly, this is a major error, and it's causing the economy to slow because the economy is not at full employment. So, okay, people say that, but essentially right. the, the story they're telling is a story dated pre-2008, okay. okay. not post-2008. Got
0: to leave it there. David Blanchflower, short notice, thank you so much on his Wales and his United Kingdom. Professor Blanchflower at Dartmouth College. Joy Pim Fox in Washington. I'm Tom Keene in New York. It is an annual visit off hands down the most prestigious award in business journalism. It is hugely competitive. So many of our guests over the years have been winners of this. I think of Robin Rajan and Muhammad Alarian and others that have really been part of the Financial Times Book Award, just just fabulous effort by McKinsey and FT Lionel Barber's shop just doing a great job and this year was an extraordinary list of books and it is fabulous to know that John Carreau is one for bad blood we'll get into the book in a minute but he comes into our studio pim totally depressed because sterling's 127.97 and your award is paid in pounds sterling that's right did you cash it in for bitcoin this morning or something
5: <laughs> money hasn't come yet the money hasn't got that's, checks that's in the That's the whole mail. reason I'm so sad about Sterling's fall.
0: <laughs> the check is in the mail, and you'll see it, and hopefully it won't be converted into uh, Bitcoin. There is a sentence, a painful sentence in a painful book, Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in Silicon Valley. Elizabeth was accepted to Stanford in the spring of 2002 as a President Scholar, a distinction bestowed on top students this was one of the everyone listening they wanted their daughter their son to be like elizabeth who was she back then before this huge scandal
5: she was a very smart and promising student she had um, spent her high school years in in houston had gone to saint john's which is a prestigious private school in in in, uh, houston and graduated near the top of her class and gotten into stanford with the scholarship that you mentioned uh she was 18 years old, and uh, she lasted at Stanford less than a year and a half. She dropped out uh, before the end of her sophomore year, in in the middle of her sophomore year, and decided that she was going to create her company, which she called Theranos. It it was a a mix of the uh, terms therapy and diagnosis, because her vision was for a medical device that would run all the blood tests pretty much uh, known to man on just a tiny uh, sample of blood drawn from a finger.
6: John, can you describe for the listeners if you believe this was something, the scandal of Theranos, was it premeditated or did it start out as something real and then just snowball into something that sucked so many people into it.
5: It was the latter. This was not a premeditated long con. This was not Bernie Madoff, who at some point in the mid-80s woke up one morning and said, I'm gonna do a Ponzi scheme. And from that point on, for the next 20, 25 years, it was black and white. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes dropped out of Stanford, truly uh, wanting to create a company, a successful company, wanting to walk in the footsteps of her idol, Steve Jobs. And it became a fraud with the years, what, what happened is, uh, unlike Steve Jobs, she wasn't working on a, a computer product, she was working on a medical product. And medical science is hard, and she encountered setbacks, and she papered them over and, and refused to acknowledge them to her investors, to her board, eventually to the public, and uh, began cutting corners and telling small lies that that snowballed into bigger lies. and by the time she went live with her supposedly innovative blood tests in 2013, the uh, gap between what she claimed she'd achieved and what the reality of the technology was 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 so big that it became a fraud.
6: John, to uh, just to be upfront about it, at one point I was at an industry event and Elizabeth Holmes was the guest speaker and during (coughs) the speech you know people talked to each other and everybody said I don't understand how they're doing this. I don't understand what she's saying. Is that something that should have rung a lot more bells than it did? Absolutely. I mean, she w-
5: when you look at her all her public appearances, she started raising her profile in late 2013 and then pretty soon became a fixture on the Silicon Valley conference circuit at healthcare conferences and gracing the covers of magazines and doing a lot of TV. Uh, when you listen to her and you can go back and look at all these public appearances on YouTube, she never gets into the details of, yeah. of the technology or the science. It's all just these sort of canned... You know, catchphrases. Okay, I,
0: I totally agree with that. And what Pim just said is absolutely critical about a lot of people who are like, really? You, the thing about John Kerouac, folks, it's so important. And again, with us with the F.T. McKinsey Book Award, Bad Blood, just a riveting book. The thing that's so important here is guys like you caught this early. You won the Pulitzer Prize for it. You, 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 you won the George Polk Award. Actually, you,
5: didn't win. You shared didn't it win the whatever. Pulitzer. You, no, I, I won the Pulitzer the year before for for something else. Okay, but excuse me. I, mean, I did win the tra- George Polk.
0: But you're like the real. You're like the real deal when you were at the Wall Street Journal getting this done. Why did the investment community not see your stuff and say, "Wait a minute"?
5: Well, for one thing, she scrupulously avoided sophisticated uh, medical technology venture capitalists uh, in the latter part of, of you know the latter stage of her company, which is when she raised most of the money. She, she really avoided them and went to the uh, family offices of billionaires who were less sophisticated. Um, and then, you know, I think fascinating it, it has to yeah. do with the gold rush environment of, of Silicon Valley. I think we're really, yeah. you know, we've witnessed in the past, uh, what, half dozen years, another boom, another sort of tulip fever just 15, 20 years after the dot-com boom. And in that kind of environment... Right. People just, uh, you know, it's the fear of missing out. They all want to hitch themselves to the next rocket ship to riches. They they thought that this might be the next Facebook. Elizabeth Holmes might be the next Mark Zuckerberg, and, and I think that plays a big role.
6: Robert Kraft, Betsy DeVos, Carlos Slim, George Schultz, Henry Kissinger. You could go on and on and list all the people associated and supporting. Rupert Murdoch. Yes. You were in many ways vilified by the company and its supporters during your entire period of covering this. Did anyone ever come out and apologize and say, yeah, you got it right, John?
5: Never. I mean, the closest thing that's happened is uh, David Boyes, I think, in some recent interviews uh, with the New York Times and New York Magazine, conceding that I did important work... (laughs) uh, but then uh you know ad- adding uh <laughs> something about my overwriting and, and also taking issue with the fact that I've been calling the actions of his law firm thuggish in my book tour um but nonetheless i'll i'll take uh you know the, okay. the those words of uh <laughs> From from David Boy's acknowledging that I had it okay. right.
0: Nobody cares. All we care about is Adam McKay killed the Big Short. Vanessa Taylor and Adam McKay are going to get together, and they're going to do the Big Bad Blood. Have you met Jennifer Lawrence? When I heard that she was going to play Elizabeth, I said that's perfect. I mean, did you? Does that fit for you that Jennifer Lawrence is going to play Elizabeth Holmes? I think
5: it's great. I think she's great. She's an unbelievable actress. She she yeah, so she's talented. Yeah, she's so scary. I think she's going to nail the role and, and uh, yeah. yeah, I couldn't be happier and I think McKay's a great choice to, to produce and direct. He honestly, Are you going
0: to do the little side vignettes through it like they did in Big Short where they actually explains you know, credit default swaps and that? Are they going to do that?
5: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, right now we're at the stage where the screenplay is getting written. They hired Vanessa Taylor yeah, who co-wrote The Shape of Water with Guillermo del Toro to hire the, the screenplay and so what, that's what she's doing right now and uh, I'm, I'm not uh, I don't know what uh, McKay's right. plans are, and I think it's just going to depend well, on what the screenplay looks like.
0: This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Bad Blood is a book, and it's, it's again, an important book by itself, but it's really been vetted by the best in financial journalism, the F.T. McKinsey uh, Book Awards, and it was a winner amid incredibly, it's an incredible year for book journalism, and to see John Carreau uh, do so well is a joy to see. And again, the movie, it a the movie out.
5: I think they might. They, they might start <laughs> filming it. You know, if the stars it's align next year. It's like Game of Pro, year, Nobody knows, right? Right. You don't. You never know yeah. in Hollywood. John,
0: thank you so much. John Caro. the book is Babylon. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen.